with the Christmas special. What's so special about Christmas? I despise Christmas. It's the most Christmassy Christmas special of recent years. <laughs> Dirty Hooers. Cross-Atlantic nitpicking about Doctor Who. From four grown adults who should probably know better. From four grown adults who should probably be working. We're not afraid to say it like it is. All the work bollocks. www.dirtyhooers.com So is this like our 12 Days of Christmas? 11 It is, yeah. So next up we've got Nick Briggs, who is a really, really lovely man. And we should have charged him because he reckoned it was like having a therapy session after we'd finished talking to him. I'm assuming that's good. He has a great voice, too. Yeah. And he's a really, really lovely bloke. Why do everybody yeah. we talked to was really lovely? He's done loads of real-time stuff and all sorts of crap, hasn't he? He has, yeah. So we sort of talked to him about some of the things he's been doing, like his Sherlock Holmes stuff, where he sees Big Finish going. And then he started talking about his family, which was really lovely. So we covered all sorts of bits and bobs, as you'll hear in the interview. Hello, Hello. Nick Briggs. Very nice to meet you. Good to meet you. Um, thank you for volunteering your services. Very much appreciated. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy to do it so far. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll try not to be too controversial. Okay. We like to not ask traditional Doctor Who questions because we're sure okay. you get an awful lot of that. I suppose I do, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you've recently played Sherlock Holmes. Not that recently, but certainly within the last uh, year or so, yes. Mm. What was it like actually taking on that role, considering how many other actors have played it now? Well, I first played Sherlock Holmes at the same time as I was working on the post-production of The Sirens of Time, which was the first big finish Doctor Who audio. I was doing that after the performance and during the day after the rehearsals were over, and I was playing him in Arthur Conan Doyle's play of... Well, it was called... What was it called? I think the play was called The Stoner Case, but it was based on The Speckled Band, and we called the play The Speckled Band so that the audience would more readily understand Mm -hmm. which story it was going to be. There were sort of various changes in it, you know, that I think Rylot was changed to Roylot and bizarre things like that. But anyway, and so I did that as a fringe production in London at a pub theatre called the Drayton Court, which I always forget. And just in that moment, (laughs) the neuron sparks in the right direction and I had a memory. Brilliant. And so I'd always wanted to play Sherlock Holmes and that's why I did that fringe production. I hadn't done one before and haven't done one since. And then I got the opportunity to play him at the Theatre Royal Nottingham in Holmes and the Ripper, the Brian Clemens play. And then the following year that was so successful they wanted to do The Hound of the Baskervilles and I said which adaptation are you going to use and the producer said oh I was thinking of writing it myself and I, I said well, what are you going to do about The Hound and he said well I thought The Hound could stay off stage and I went you can't do The Hound of the Baskervilles <laughs> and not have The Hound appear. He said well, have you got any ideas and my wife said to me then she said I think you're going to end up writing this and I did and so I wrote a stage adaptation of The Hound of the Baskervilles but in the meantime I'd spoken to Brian Clemens about doing Holmes and the Ripper as an audio and he mm-hmm. was extremely amenable to it so we did that and we're planning to do more Holmes things hopefully early next year 2011. Yes, I mean we did a reading of The Speckled Band as a subscriber freebie as well. Mm. What was it like? It is quite daunting but I love playing Holmes because I love to play characters that are very single minded and Holmes is the sort of straight as a die always heading for you know sort of slightly obsessive about things and that's something that I'm very attracted to as an actor and also he's not a million miles away from playing the Doctor actually so I quite enjoy that aspect of it. (laughs) Yeah I love doing it. It seems to have had very good reactions. It had good reactions when I did it in the theatre. I mean thankfully I haven't read 
heard a single review when anyone has said, what a terrible Sherlock Holmes, he ought to give up. So that's good. I think people said about Holmes in the Ripper because of the nature of the play that it was a more emotional Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. than they used to. But that is in the sort of atypical nature of the play, really, because mm. he does become sort of romantically involved with a woman. I don't know why Brian chose to do that, but I suppose he thought it would add an extra element for, you know, people sitting in a theatre for two hours yeah. of an evening. It would give it another element to it. And I'm working at the moment on just adapting the final problem as a, more of a dramatised reading like this. But did you hear The Speckled Band? I haven't, yeah, no. Right. That was just uh, Richard Earle, who plays Watson, myself, and Jane Goddard, who's Rob Shearman's wife. Just because only three voices are needed in that, yeah. because, of course, Watson does everyone's lines, but I did Holmes and she did Helen Stone. And uh, he did Rylot Royler. You see, I can't remember what his name <laughs> is because Conan Doyle changed it. He did that brilliantly. And, you know, and we illustrated it with lots of sound effects and music and what have you. But, yeah, I'm hoping to do the final problem like that as well. Mm. I don't know. I would rather fancy David Troughton playing Moriarty. That would be Ooh, good, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Mm. I actually saw him many moons ago, really before I realised who he was, in an RSC production of The Tempest. Right, In yes. Newcastle. And he was absolutely terrifying. I can never remember the name. It's Ariel's son. Yes. The demon. yes. Caliban. Caliban, that's it. Yeah. And he was amazing, so yes. Yeah. I didn't see that, but I heard that he was amazing in that part. David was the ideal of the Royal Shakespeare Company in that he started as a spear carrier and worked his way up, mm. and that's what they always wanted, and he was their sort of man and boy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it was lovely because... The prof here likes to educate me in the ways of very old Doctor Who. So we've been watching some of the Troutons, we've been watching War Games, and of yeah. course there's the two of them on screen together, yeah. and it's lovely, even though he just barely walks on, says two lines and disappears again. It's really nice to see the two of them on screen together. Yeah, and I'll tell you what's also really nice with David is that he was very... Because when I first worked with him, it was on a Bill Baggs thing, where Bill got him in because he'd seen him in a, a production or something, and he was very admiring of him. And I suppose he wasn't entirely ignorant of the Doctor Who connection, but David was very nervous about that. He said, you're not just getting me into this because my dad was Doctor Who because you know I'm a completely separate person but now he softened on that he said to me he really enjoys because he did some short trips readings for us and he really enjoys playing his father's doctor he said I feel like I'm channeling dad I can hear his voice you know and so it's interesting I might develop that further with him actually I said would you be willing to do that again and he said yes I would I definitely would which is a big change from from how things were you know 10 or so years ago Mm. that's what I was going to ask you next actually dream project dream properties that you'd like to get hold of because obviously you've got a fairly wide portfolio Mm. of different properties. Oh dream properties I would love to do all the Jerry Anderson stuff for Big Finish and I've had several meetings with ITV about it they were quite positive but there are all sorts of potential top secret developments going on with all the Anderson stuff. They can't give me a definitive answer Mm. at the moment. I was also quite interested because of the revival of The Prisoner which I know wasn't that popular there was a book as you may know written of The Prisoner, a tie-in book which they re-released which bears no resemblance to the old or new series or a passing (laughs) resemblance to it's in the flavour of the old Mm -hmm. series but it's very different and so I have approached them with the idea of doing an audio adaptation of that Mm. whether it's going to happen or not I don't know again I think they were keener for us to link stuff to the new series but the new series is an entity in itself you can't do the continuing adventures of the prisoner based on the new series because it was all explained away so I don't know what we'll do but I would love to do that and you know I'd love to persuade David Tennant to come in and play the prisoner Mm. wouldn't that be fantastic 
fantastic. That would be quite entertaining, but, yeah, actually. He'd yes. have to do it as a big favour because I'm sure his agent wouldn't be keen on the <laughs> idea. But there you go. <laughs> what else? Dream projects. My ultimate dream, my personal dream, creatively, I would love to create my own franchise, preferably a sci-fi type thing. Uh, not necessarily, but preferably. And I'm working on a few ideas at the moment. I'm working with a colleague from years ago who's got his fingers in all sorts of strange production pies. And he said, uh, well, what's your idea? And I told him what it was. And he said, what's your dream? And I said, well, I would like that to become a big franchise, you know, series, movies, whatever. Mm. And he said, well, let me help you try to make your dream come true. So, you know, maybe we'll have a conversation in five years and nothing will have happened or something <laughs> will have happened. I don't know. It's very vague at the moment, but I would love to do that. I don't know whether that's a frustration of sort of, you know, constantly working with properties where you have to get other people's approval. Yes. It'd be quite nice to think, well, no, I created this. So I can and, do what and I, I want, yeah, yeah, and it's up to me. That would be fabulous. Yeah, I would yes. love that. That that would make me extremely happy, especially if it was really successful. I'm not really thinking of the money, but it would make my future more <laughs> secure than it is at the moment. Because, you know, my future is, you know, if the Daleks aren't in the TV series, which very much looks like they won't be for the next series, mm. then that's a huge income impact on my life. And if the BBC decide, for whatever good reason, not to renew Big Finish's licence yes. in a couple of years' time, then suddenly, you know, what am I going to do? Work in a bar, you know. So I'm constantly looking, even though I've chosen in this ridiculous life where everything's insecure and, and that's part of it I'd hate the idea of working in an office and thinking I can do that until I'm 65 mm. that would make me feel scared and hemmed in so I deliberately put myself in this ridiculous position where there's no security but at the same time you're always fighting to find some kind of security within it it's a real paradox mm. actually sorry this is like a careers briefing now, <laughs> no, it's it? wonderful it's very interesting <laughs> these um... are the things that are preoccupying <laughs> me at the moment because I've got a kid you know he's only 16 months old and like I never have before you see the moment you have a child you see your entire life stretch out before you because you know what you'll be doing for the rest of your life is in some way or other and I feel quite joyous about it looking after him providing mm -hmm. for him even if it's just giving him advice when he's older and you know it really does change your attitude towards life obviously I suppose yes. yeah. and it was lovely the way you wanted to show us his picture oh earlier. I'm such That'd a boring nice. dad yeah look oh, at my lovely. son it's <laughs> really lovely huh. well I like it so that people know who I'm talking about because <laughs> when we were at Hooverville we met Sophie Aldred and her boys yeah. and they were fabulous to talk to they yeah. were really lovely and they're a really nice family and it's lovely to see what we've picked up from the couple of conventions that we've gone to is how it's not just 40 year old 50 year old men alone in their basements it's a real family thing yes it is more and more so yeah. I would bring Steph and Ben along but uh, they've been to one Doctor Who convention in this country and one in Chicago and that's enough Steph is not into Doctor Who, yeah. so it's quite boring for her. <laughs> and, you know, and, and Ben just needs to be looked after. And he has been in the same room when Doctor Who's been on television, I think I mentioned. Did I mention to you earlier he started walking during Victory of the Daleks? No. Mm, he did. He'd been taking one step and falling over. And then <laughs> during the opening moments of Victory of the Daleks, he took three steps and fell over. But I thought, three steps, that's, that's walking. <laughs> so whenever that was, that's when he started walking. When was Victory of the Daleks? Oh, March. April time? Yes, yeah, so it must be April because we were stuck in Canada and we missed it. So, yeah, he was born at the end of June, so that's ten months, isn't it? Nine or ten months he was Could be walking. cruel and say he was trying to get away from it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he vaguely walked towards it. <laughs> 
Although, funnily enough, him walking wasn't as exciting as him crawling forwards. Because mm. <laughs> he was crawling backwards a lot. And then one day he crawled forwards, and that was amazing. Anyway, I digress. You see, I am a boring father. I do. Yeah, I, love, I love him so much. It's, it's incredible that, you know, you just... If you leave it till later in life... I can't imagine how I would have coped with having children in my 20s. Mm. Oh, well, I wouldn't have been able to go. I would have been terrified. I would have felt hemmed in. But you get to a certain age, and you just think, oh, no. Yeah, that's what I'd like to do now. Mm-hmm. You know, gives you a real purpose to your life. The lovely gentleman from Tacky on TV. Oh, yes. Yes. Very funny um, people, yes. Said we had to say hello to Ian. <laughs> <laughs> did you hear the Tacky on TV? We did, oh, yes. <laughs> that was hilarious. Wasn't it? I was so nervous about sounding like a complete ass, but I think it's just errs on the side of people sort of know that I'm deliberately doing it. But it's because I'd heard their podcast, and their podcasts are so cruel, but so funny, you know, for all sorts of political reasons. I can't tell you why I thought certain things were funny about it, but that I really did laugh. And when they approached me and said, we'd love to do something with you, I thought, well, I would like to. I love what they do. I think you have to have people that really viciously kick at things. (laughs) You really do. In a free society, especially, I mean, in the whole sci-fi Doctor Who world, there's so much brand control and uh, what's right and what's wrong. I love the idea that there are lunatics out there saying the most appalling things that, you know, (laughs) important people in offices might hear and go, oh my God, they can't (laughs) say that. Can we sue them? What can we do? Can we we get hit men to kill them? (laughs) Uh, You know. I love it. They are maniacs, aren't they? They are brilliant, and it's partly their fault that we got roped into doing this sort of thing in the first place. It's fun podcasting. At the moment, it's one of the things I enjoy the most about Big Finish. We realised that we'd been so efficient over the years that some people thought we were a big, slick corporation. Mm. We're just a bunch of guys doing stuff, you know? And we've been lucky enough to be successful, and I wanted to make it clear to the people listening that we are just a bunch of guys Mm. sitting in an office, kind of working as hard as we can, but laughing a lot as well. Yeah, but that speaks volumes as to the profession and the commitment of your team that people do think that. I suppose it does, but yeah, we were a victim of our own success. Because we're breaking, because of the whole piracy thing, we want to connect with our audience mm. to stop making them think that it was a victimless crime to pirate our stuff. Mm. That's the thing, you know. It's not every sale counts with Big Finish, it really does. Which is why we did it. And it was funny setting up the first podcast in the current style they are, which is me, and then there's David Richardson, the line producer, and uh, Paul Sprague, the producer's assistant. And David didn't want to be in the podcast. He didn't want to talk on mic or anything like that because he's no kind of performer and no aspiration to be a performer. Paul Sprague our producer's assistant thinks he's a comedy genius you know what I mean he does sketches with his mates he takes it a bit seriously you can always tell he's rehearsed a few funny lines you know (laughs) and he just tries to plant them in so I just went round the office and just planted the microphones in front and David went oh I said just speak if you don't say anything fair enough I'll talk and of course what we found is that David and I and with Paul as well it's a good balance because Mm -hmm. David is quite a natural at it Mm -hmm. you know he suddenly realised he's got a knack just to sort of chat about stuff and take the mickey which is what you want you need it to be informative but you also need it not to be po-faced otherwise people just aren't going to come back and listen to it ever again yes I like the fact that it is informative is almost irrelevant now people aren't really (laughs) interested in the stuff about the CDs they just want to hear who's drinking what cup of tea and how much (laughs) David has on his Rivita or whatever, you know. The incidental stuff has become more important, but I've been really careful not to make it too self-conscious. You know, there have been times when I've found that David wanted to plan doing something and I try and spring it on everyone so that we just get on with it. And when people say to me, oh, we've got to cut that bit out, and I say, no, we're carrying on, you know, I occasionally edit little bits that just were totally unfunny or bad taste, you know, because you do say appalling things sometimes. (laughs) Really? Yes. (laughs) 
but generally the key is to just keep it live. Yeah. And I also find putting a bed of music under something does give it a significance it never had before. Yes. <laughs> so yes. I hope there's some music going here. And um, then the, oh, we'll have to now. <laughs> just bring some in now. Bring some in. They fade it out. Back to the stupid questions. Yes. If you could meet any historical person, hmm. who would it be and why? Ooh, I don't know. Historical person who I admire. I'm frightened of meeting heroes. I mean, because I did the Myth Makers for years. And I wanted to meet Doctor Who, I suppose. And then you meet John Pertwee, who in many ways is probably a fantastic person, but he was quite upsetting. <laughs> You know, he was quite a difficult man, quite distrusting of me. And that's why I got on with Colin Baker so well when I first met him, because Colin is far more trusting. And his attitude towards me was, well, you're doing the interview, so I'll let you do that job. John Pertwee's attitude was, I don't know who you are, so you may be rubbish. So I'm mm. going to treat you like you're an idiot and you have to bash it the other way. So I'd be frightened of meeting someone in history who I admire. You're talking dead people, are you? Oh, it can be live people either, if there's anyone that you would fancy that's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> anyone I fancy who's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I'd love to work with Gene Hackman, but I expect he's a right so-and-so. He wouldn't tolerate me, would he? So I'd be frightened to meet him. I would quite like to meet Neil Kinnock, because I'm very admiring of what he did with the Labour Party, and the poor so-and-so never benefited, mm. never reaped the benefits of what he did. That gives you a clue as to my politics. <laughs> and also, actually, I wouldn't mind the idea of meeting Tony Blair, because I know that he's vilified, he's hated... But he also achieved great things and is a victim of the way politics has gone now. That You can't be the Prime Minister of this country unless you're good at sound bites, unless mm. you speak well, unless you look good, you know, which is why the Labour Party have just condemned themselves to two terms in opposition by electing someone as leader who looks funny when he smiles. I mean, I bet he's a fantastic person. He's got a speech impediment. David Cameron looks like a really trustworthy, good bank manager. You know, I'm not a Tory, I would never vote Tory. But you know what I mean, though? Yes. He was clearly going to win. It's so obvious. Yeah. and it's, He was um, stamped out of the mould at the politician factory. Exactly. No matter how much we think we're free thinkers, most people who don't have big party loyalties go for that kind of thing. I've strayed right off the question. Who are important people? I mean, I think Winston Churchill is a massively important, significant person, but I do think I would like to have met him. What I'm fascinated about in history is when people rise to the top at just the right time because that's what history seems to need yeah. and history needed a Neil Kinnock and history mm -hmm. needed a Tony Blair and history needed a Winston Churchill yes. when you see documentaries about it all the other politicians in World War II if they didn't have Churchill they probably would have surrendered yeah. you know and he was mad enough to say things like we'll choke on our own blood and all this kind of stuff and you could yeah who else in history I don't want to meet him I don't want them to shatter my illusions. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. I really can, yeah. I never met Patrick Troughton. I would have loved to have met him. I asked him a question at Longleat, and he was so nervous and out of place. And I remember seeing... He was sitting there with his hands on the table, but the cloth on the table didn't quite go to the floor, and you could see his feet writhing around underneath in terrible nervousness. And I found it so painful to see someone who I admired so greatly as a performer suffering. Mm. He was suffering in public. Bless him. I mean, the other problem, the, the practical of meeting a historical character is that even if they were English, if they're from history a long time ago, the possibility for misunderstanding and what they'd make of you... Yes. There'd have to be so many preconditions that they would have to have been told in advance who you were and it was OK to meet you. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Oh, we'll go for an easy one then. If you could be a biscuit or cake, what yes. biscuit or cake would you be? 
<laughs> my favourite biscuits were Sainsbury's shortcakes, which, funnily enough, I don't think whoever made them for Sainsbury's, I don't know whether they make them for Sainsbury's anymore. I think Asda or Morrison's have them now, but it's a particular brand. the round ones that no, have no. the lovely sugar crystals around No, no, side. no, not those. That's filth. <laughs> no, the sort of oblong ones with the sort of patterning round. The reason I have so many fillings is that I was woken up with four of those biscuits every morning with a cup of tea. That's what my mother used to give me, you know. So I had biscuits stuck in my molars for an hour before I brushed my teeth. And that's why you can tell people from my generation have lots of fillings. You look at kids now, they don't have any fillings at all. They've had much better dental hygiene teaching. So, yeah, those are my favourite biscuits. I will, if left alone with a packet of chocolate hobnobs, devour the entire packet I won't be able to stop it's because they're full of salt and sugar and we crave that don't we it's a survival instinct you know because human beings were designed to survive failing crops which is why we eat all this awful rubbish because we're (laughs) desperate to fill ourselves up in case the crop fails oh yes unfortunately the crop doesn't fail at all (laughs) funnily enough I was actually doing this lecture with my students yesterday oh right why dieting actually mimics the survival response of it's summer we can gorge because in winter we're not going to have anything yeah. and they'd never really thought about it like that before weird parallels that come out of Doctor Who conventions I, I know final one what's your favourite tipple it doesn't have to be alcoholic Ooh. well I don't drink much now at all because I find that drinking is largely something you do when you're single to get enough courage up to speak to girls <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to do that I'm married but anyway the tragic thing is I reflected a few years ago that I haven't yet found an alcoholic drink I don't like I can kind of drink it all you know not at once <laughs> favourite I'm not good at favourites because I change all the time. But I think, for example, if I was going to have like an Indian takeaway or a Chinese takeaway and get a beer in, I would have tiger beer. So let's say tiger beer. Our podcast is usually actually terribly drunken. Well, the other three are usually <laughs> terribly drunken. I'm the designated pixie, so I'm usually the sober one. Well and so that's why the alcohol question's in there. There's only once I've actually given in to the gin. And I that like was, gin, uh, gin and tonic. And that was the Chris Chibnall episode drove me to drink, didn't it, in season five. <laughs> 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 Couldn't get through the podcast without the gin. <laughs> it has to have lime in it. It has to have a slice of lime. I can't believe it. when you get a gin and tonic, someone says, ice and lemon, lemon. In a gin and tonic, you need a bit of lime. You need to squeeze it in there and then wipe it round. You the, it with the, cucumber. No, that's amazing. But, but no lime though. No gin Just and tonic cu- with cucumber in is absolutely amazing. I'll try it once. <laughs> it's really good. It's incredibly. I'm good. sure I'd drink it again. You see, I don't really. You know, I like sherry as well. I've had a glass of sherry for ages. I love sherry. When I was a student, I used to buy lots of cream sherry. <laughs> See, sherry's the thing that I was always allowed on Christmas Day. Oh, yes. At my I still, I still have a sherry on Christmas Day, actually. Yeah. And uh, snowballs. I love a snowball. Yes. When I was a kid, when my parents went out, when I was, like, in my mid-teens, my parents would go out and they'd say, you can have one drink from the drinks cabinet while we're out. Mm. What is it you're going to have? And I used to go, well, anything. And they go, yeah, a snowball. <laughs> my dad used to go, oh, that's a tart drink. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously I'm a tart. I do like that. And my dad died a few years ago. And in memory of him, mum and I have a snowball at Christmas. Lovely. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been, it's a been highly entertaining. I we... hope it has. It's been long. <laughs> I've gone on about 
goodness knows what. But thank you for listening. I'd love that one. That's nice. That one. And the prof was the happiest little bunny because he actually managed to get Nick Briggs to say, you get a big finish with Dirty Hooers. And we've already used that. We awesome. used that last Which you've already used, which was fabulous. I love what he said about his kid and everything. That was so cute. And i got to say, the guy's got a bit of business savvy going on there as well. He's absolutely right. Thank you, Fuchsia, for the wonderful interview. The way the BBC handles licenses and copyrights because they're government-owned, I always found interesting as an American. And I'm not nearly as big a big Finnish fan as Fuchsia is, but I wouldn't want to lose them. And that would set a bad precedent for organizations like that. I don't listen to the big Finnish, but I am a fan of big Finnish. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. I so wish there was kind of like a donation box on the big Finnish site and I could just set something up and just give them 20 quid at Christmas and say, there you go, guys, walk off out and buy yourselves a pint on me. Because good on you. The yeah. whole big Finnish crew were absolutely wonderful. We spent a lot of time talking to them, and they're all really, really lovely people. And we just basically ran out of time to interview all of them, because we could quite happily have ate, sat and chatted to Nick Briggs the entire oh. day. He's a tremendously interesting bloke. Such a nice interview, too. What was really sweet was because actually when we finished the interview, Nick Briggs said, can I commend you on your interviewing technique? Because you actually ask a question and then let somebody answer it. And there's an awful lot of people haven't got that basic idea. They're trying to interview people. So I was really thrilled because, of course, Nick Briggs started out doing yeah, interviews of course. with Doctor Who stars. Mm. So I was dead. Okay, oh. it's your job from now on, Fluff. So it was okay. also really nice was when we went back in to talk to Jake McGann, he actually sort of patted Jake McGann on the shoulder and said, you'll be all right talking to them. They're nice. You know, little does he realise. <laughs> little does he realise what the other three are like. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. Anyway, uh, we're getting closer and closer to Christmas, aren't we? So we should probably we say something about Christmas. Doctor Who Christmas. So close. Christmas episode, so close. You guys get it really close as well. Do you get it on Christmas Day or Boxing Day or what? I, I'm not sure, but we're supposed to be getting it more or less the same yeah. day or the next day after you guys do. So Fantastic. it's going to be awesome. Well, uh, when you yeah, do, we'll meet up in Second Life, have a really good chat. I don't know if we will. A... I won't be around. We're going to have to do a review, you know. Yeah, I know review. we are going to have to do a review, but we'll have to do it when Sam's ready. So listen, folks, don't hold your breath for a Christmas review because frankly we'd rather do it with Sam yeah. around because it's not the same without the four of us and no offence but we don't do this for the fucking audience we do it to sit around with our mates and get pissed so I'd rather wait for the and get pissed you know what I'm saying oh yeah yeah Sorry. yeah we definitely have to wait hey, if you want us to do it for the audience there's a fucking tip box on the site you know it's a click some of you might want to try it <laughs> you knock rock insides Okay, so is that the last one, Fluff? I think so. So we've done Bruce, we've done Jake, we've done Nev, we've done Nick, we've done Paul, we've done Rob. Yeah, that's pretty much it, actually. We're out of here. We all need a fucking stiff drink. We've had to do this in one go, folks. So, you know, whew. (laughs) Um, I'd just like to say before we get off before we get off that I hope everyone has a really cool Christmas Hanukkah or whatever it is Happy holidays to everyone Happy holidays Happy Doctor Who holidays Fucking A we've got a new episode coming it's the thing to look forward to if you're not religious if you don't like Christmas fuck it just lock the family out and go and watch some Matt Smith and let's hope it's a good one let's hope it's a good one Oh, it oh, will be. Uh, yeah, well, Catherine Jenkins is singing, so it's not going to be all great. She's actually singing in it? Yeah. It might be all right. You can just turn the sound down and look at her. Yep, that's what I do with all the American pop artists. <laughs> all right, guys, so, I mean, if we don't right. talk to each other, merry, 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 merry. Merry, 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 merry. Happy holidays, everyone. You've been listening to... The Dirty Hooers Doctor Who Podcast. Follow us on iTunes or at DirtyHooers.com. Find us on Twitter at Dirty Hooers. See you next time. Well, now they know. I hope they don't listen to this podcast. Nobody listens to this fucking podcast.
<laughs> Good Come point. On. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I have a fantasy that someone listens to it. <laughs>